Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and has just started growing a moustache for Movember. I'm Kevin Day and he is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, I assume Manscaped won't mind that I shall be hairy at one end and you'll be smoother than Gary Lineker at the other. I sincerely hope not. And uh, if you want to try out Manscaped, of course, you use the use the code word price of football. You'll get a 20 percent discount. I actually uh, I, I was doing the, the pumpkins for the local kids last night. So I've used, so I've used loads of stencils. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, I'm and, so, and I had Kieran, a stencil Kieran, Kieran, over. Kieran, Kieran, I'm going to I'm going to have to stop you there. It, you can't see me. So in general, can you try not to say things like I was doing the pumpkins? when I've got a mouthful of tea, because I literally have just spat that mouthful of tea out of the thought of you doing the pumpkins. Anyway, so you're, sh- you're shaving pumpkins, are we saying here? Well, no, I, I was I was, uh, I was cutting the pumpkins, and these days you get stencils for, for your pumpkins. Good God, um, And I had a spare one, so I used my Manscaped with it, and, and now I've, I've got a picture of a witch where you wouldn't normally expect to have a picture of a witch. <laughs> I'd, I'd put the cup down just to sorry yeah so it turned it went from pumpkins to little mini marrows basically <laughs> that's <laughs> right <laughs> yeah, what does a baroness think about you having a, a bubble bubble toil in trouble <laughs> shaved into you <laughs> uh, that took um, a different direction to the one I was imagining it's questions day Kieran but we do have a couple of uh, news stories uh, and the first one is news or it's rumours of news of a Burnley takeover, uh, to which every football fan on Twitter seemed to say, no, for God's sake, no, Burnley, walk away. Why is that? Um, well, this is a, uh, this apparently has been rummaging around for a whole year. Uh, it's, uh, it's an Egyptian investor called Mohammed Al-Kashashi. Um, I think the reason why people are a bit reticent for Burnley to get involved, everybody seems to be warning them off, is the involvement of Mr. Chris Farnell. Yes. Now, we've, we've spoken about Chris on, on a few occasions mm. um, in respect to the, the takeover at, uh, or prospective takeover at uh, Charlton Athletic, which didn't go particularly well. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's very weird what's happening in respect of this guy because he failed the owners and directors test uh, as far as the EFL was, was concerned, and then five weeks later they said he's okay. Now, mm. yeah, we we talk about wrongens, and and for me, if, if you were a wrongen, it's normally a fairly long term <laughs> uh, status. So to be a wrongen for five weeks does seem um, a bit of a strange one. But apparently, according to the reports I've read, he's still under investigation from the Solicitors Regulation Authority with regards to his conduct in respect of Charlton Athletic. Um, so you know, Burnley didn't spend any money in the transfer window. Mm. They don't normally spend a lot of money in the transfer window. So th- th- I think the fan base is torn between mysterious Middle Eastern investors, of which some have been very successful and some haven't. Um, but uh, we'll have to wait and see how this one goes. Uh, but the, 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 the asking price is apparently 200 million quid. Wow. I say, wow, well, is that a lot? Um, I, th- I think for a club that's in the presently in the bottom three or close to the bottom three, yeah. um, you're you're taking a bit of a gamble because clubs in the championship, 
normally go for somewhere in the region of 20 to 50 million to 200 million for a club that's secure in the Premier League I would say is a fair price uh, and to be fair to Burnley you know that they have probably punched above their weight for the last five or six seasons since they were promoted but in the middle of a pandemic and uh, with, with a pretty weak start to the season mm. um, yeah that, that price to me seems at that at the top end. You mentioned that they don't normally spend a lot of money in the summer, Burnley. They're normally quite canny with their with their signings, but of course, the fact that they spent virtually nothing is playing into the conspiracy theories. Um, and the, you know, people look at Sean Dyche's face and go, "Yeah, that club's definitely been sold." You can tell by the way he's leaning on his left foot. But there uh, is just a conspiracy theory. I mean, they're, they're not a club renowned for spending money, so there's no reason to believe they didn't spend money because this guy was attempting to buy it then. No, no. I mean, if you take a look at the present owners, they, they've never put a penny into the club since mm. taking it over. Burnley have been hit by the pandemic, as has of all clubs, mm. uh, in terms of the, the main forms of income coming in. But they're not the only club that's being linked with a takeover because on Friday, um, and, and we've not mentioned them for, 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 for days, I suspect, Derby County. Um, they they also have potential Middle Eastern investment with Sheikh Khalid bin Zayed, who is uh, a relative of Manchester City's owners. He's, he's previously tried to acquire both Liverpool and Newcastle. That's not been successful. He's set up a, a company called Derventio Holdings Limited um, and the existing uh, owner, Mel Morris, who who has uh, spaffed, I think it's fair to say, a huge sum of money in his love for the club. And he, and he is a dev- devoted Derby fan, but they've lost 120 million quid in five years. Um, I think he's now reached the stage where he, he's he can't really put in much more because it's it's draining him out. Mm. And that will be the last time we mention Derby on this pod until the very first question, in fact. Um, but before that, another another bit of news, Kieran, and it's it's big news for fans of lower league football who love pizza. It is indeed. It is indeed. Because after such highly regarded names as Freight Rover, Sherpa Van, Autoglass, LDV Vans, Johnson Paint and Checker Trade, and not, of course, we cannot forget leasing.com. We've got Papa John's as the official sponsors of the EFL Trophy. Um, and an EFL Trophy gets a lot of stick because nobody's interested in it in, in the early rounds, but it, it does give normally young players an opportunity to play. Um, and, and the present holders, Portsmouth, uh, you know, when, when they won at Wembley in 2019, because the trophy was effectively abandoned last season, uh, there was 85,000 people at Wembley to see them defeat Sunderland. So it, you know, it can, uh, certainly at the very final stages, attract a bit of interest. Um, it's, uh, it's a bit of a lost sheep in, in terms of, uh, sort of the, the love love affair for the trophy, but you know, if it brings more money into EFL clubs, then we're all for it. Yeah, it's also going to be a boon for those pundits and television football commentators who love a pun as well. I imagine as we speak, somebody will be looking for a team that hasn't won for four seasons. Um, <laughs> hey! No, thank you. Uh, I got bored after that. To be perfectly honest, the roller deck the roller decks was flipping around, but then I got bored. I realised the world's going to hell. It doesn't need any more pizza puns. But it would be it would be quite pleasant though if 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 the at the end of the final the trophy was delivered on a moped. That would be lovely, wouldn't it? In a little cardboard box, and then you got a pound off because they turned up late. Uh, our, now our first question, and already I've I've there's been a spoiler alert. Our first question. Kieran is about Derby County 
uh, and it's from Ben Dale, um, uh, who's an accountant and football fan. And Ben says, this show ticks all my boxes. Uh, ben, if this show ticks all your boxes, I really do worry about what's happening in the rest of your life. Uh, but Ben says, thank you for the pod and, and thank you for this question, Ben. Um, it's actually a good question because it ties up some loose ends about something we've spoken about a lot recently, which is Derby and Sheffield Wednesday. But what Ben would like to know is the current legal ownership of Pride Park and Hillsborough, after all the shenanigans that you described, do they now belong to the club's owners? And if so, in years to come, if Premier League football is still not achieved, could the owners cash in and just sell the stadium land for redevelopment? Um, well, the simple question is, is yes, they could. Um, Pride Park uh, is owned by a company called Gellor Nuco 202 Limited, which really rolls off the tongue. Um, and that was sold by Derby County Football Club for £81.1 million because the owners of Gellor Nuco, um, they, they'd seen some of the success uh, that, that Derby had had previously with things such as the monster truck competition held at the stadium. Um, and they felt that that justified the price because they felt that there was a gap in the market for similar events, especially if they put a sliding roof over the top of the stadium. Um, so uh, the, the the owner of Gela Nuco, Mel Morris, who happens coincidentally to be the owner of Derby County Football Club, uh-huh. could sell the football club without the stadium. All right. So he, he could he could he could effectively be the landlord, or he could sell the stadium without the football club. Right. Um, in terms of getting bored and selling it for development, that that's always a potential, regardless of of who the owner is, because ultimately, um, if if you've got an owner who who wants to make money out of the football ground. And we have seen that on on numerous occasions mm. um, that they could even if the football club owns the grounds, they can try to shift the the the, the, the club's facilities elsewhere. Um, so yeah, we'll have to wait to see what happens on this. Uh, you know, we, we've always said we're never comfortable about uh, separation of ground from mm. stadium if it goes too far. Uh, Hillsborough is owned by a company called Sheffield Three Limited, by Del- owned by Delphon Chancery. Um, and if you are buying or selling a club, you know, what we would always advise you is to check the small print um, as former Palace owner Mark Goldberg, who, again, we've mentioned on a few occasions, really uh, is probably ruined to this day. Yes. Yeah, because he ended up owning the leasehold to the club and the ground, but not the freehold. Yeah. Yeah. So there was nothing he could do, basically, without Ron Nodes' permission. OK, Kieran, our, our second question I think this could be your perfect price of football podcast question, Kieran, because it contains it contains Derby County and amortisation. That's that's right up your street, isn't it? Bingo! Um, that's that's a full yeah, house, isn't absolutely. It? Yeah. Uh, Philip Hawkins uh, says my question is about the Derby County amortisation case, and that comes as no surprise. I just gave away that as a second spoiler alert. I've failed to give this pod already. Um, Philip says, I understand how and why accountants were allowed to spread player costs to backload the financial burden, but could the club do it in the other direction? Uh, In other words, if they had a good season and know that there are big transfers coming following submission of accounts, could they front load amortisation costs in the same manner? Is Is that just a fancy way of saying, can they pay more in advance on a transfer fee? Um, 
from from an accounting point of view, yes, it what what appears to be the case now is that you can, given that the uh, the charges against Derby County were were found to be innocent, yeah. um, and, and the club was cleared of, of all of, of all that was laid at them by the EFL, if this is now deemed to be acceptable, you can have as much fun with the numbers as you so desire. Right. Now, now we, we did actually mention something similar to this um, on on a recent pod in respect of Aston Villa, when they were relegated from the uh, Premier League in 2016, what they did is they just effectively took a giant amortisation charge that year. And the reason for that is that you're allowed to lose more money in the Premier League uh, for financial fair play purposes or profitability and sustainability, to give them the right names, than you are in the EFL. Um, so any any creative accountant worth his or her salt, uh, if if this Derby case is proven to be acceptable, uh, now it's 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 open doors uh, as to uh, whatever you want to do. The only thing we we do appear to be uh, having to deal with is the fact that it looks like financial fair play is going to be kicked out the window and replaced with some form of wage cap instead. Right. Ryan Thomas has a question about his club, which is Swansea City, but it's one I'm actually interested to hear answered as a Palace fan. As Ryan says, over recent years, uh, they've Swansea that has been purchased by American owners who seem to have sold a lot of players uh, and refused to spend any money off the back of it. Uh, how does Swansea stand financially as the Americans are claiming poverty despite all the recent Premier League and parachute money? Well, I mean, Ryan's absolutely right. Swansea have benefited substantially from uh, their existence and former existence within the Premier League. Having said that, over the course of the last five years, they actually managed to lose £124 million despite their, their elevated status. Now, normally, if you're losing money, you've got uh, you've got two potential ways of dealing with this. First of all, the the owners can put the money in to to effectively, um, you know, uh, heal those losses to 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 make sure that you've got sufficient money to allow the club to operate on a day to day basis. The alternative is to sell players, and, and uh, the reason why the owners haven't put a penny into the club is that the the £124 million worth of losses have been covered by £138 million of profits on player sales, which means it's it's tough to be a Swansea fan because every time you've you've got a player uh, who's who's shown promise hmm. then then off then off he goes elsewhere. And you know, we've seen the likes of of James and Mc, McBurney was there as well, I think. Yeah. Um and, and other players, uh, you know, Sir, uh, Sigmundson and so on. So it's it, it's a struggle for the club because if you lose your best two players every season to another Premier League club, or if you're in the Championship, a Premier League club just nicks them. To actually have a team of the quality to progress on the pitch becomes increasingly difficult. Yeah, and the reason I say it's of interest to me as a Palace fan is because we have um, Harris and Blitzer two hugely wealthy Americans who are major investors in the club, who three seasons ago had all sorts of ideas, none of which have been fulfilled. Although in the meantime, they seem to have acquired several other American sports clubs. It's slightly worrying for as a Palace fan that we seem to be on their back burner even while we're in the Premier League, let alone before we go in the Championship. And it seems that quite a few American owners who are happy to get involved in the glamour, but then sort of seem to step back a little bit. Yes. Um, 
we we've seen especially over the course of the last two two or three years the the major international investment as far as english football is concerned it's it's gone away from china and towards the us mm. and, and that's partly due to the fact that, that that high net worth american individuals they see the popularity of, of english football it's it's now on american tv that um, they see some of the stratospheric numbers involved they get in they they, they dip their toe in the water and and then quickly realize the the majority of clubs are actually still losing money and and then they do lose interest and what they're trying to do is to to find a useful idiot to buy the club off them um, and still make a profit um and th- and, th- and there are huge numbers of of people involved at present trying to buy football clubs so it's it's a case of pass the toxic parcel to a certain extent and, and trying to mug somebody off Oh, that, that's good. That, that's when I remember you're from South London when you use phrases like "mug somebody off." Every now and again, the way you pronounce "grass" and "bath" really worries me. But then you say that, and it's fine. Yeah, he's back. The elephant and castle kid is back. Now, our next question comes from Sebastian R. Fat. Now, my apologies, Sebastian, if I've pronounced your surname incorrectly. But Sebastian Kieran has taken us to places we have never been, and for you, Kieran, that's very unusual, as you've been to most places. <laughs> in all sorts of ways. We are going to Tier 3 of the Portuguese League, or if you prefer, Terceira Liga. There you go. Tier 3. Uh, tier 3 is a new sort of supercharged Div- Division 3 due to start in 2021-2022. And it's of interest to Sebastian, he says, because a close friend, I understand Sebastian, asking for a friend, don't worry, said a close friend supports SC Vianense, who were recently promoted from a regional league into the Campeonato de Portugal, or if you prefer, the Portuguese third division, um, as it is at the moment. Would moving from the current Portuguese third division to this new supercharged Tier 3 plus affect clubs financially? Tier 3, those were the days, eh, Boris? <laughs> um. Will it affect them significantly? No, the answer will be no. Portuguese football is slightly unusual in the sense that clubs sell their uh, broadcasting rights mainly on an individual club basis as as opposed to a full league. Um, So uh, I I think the the problem for uh, the the Portuguese third tier is that it's, it's not going to have any significant money coming in from the broadcasters. Um, therefore, you're going to be reliant upon local sponsors and uh, fans turning up in respect of match day to, to, to provide funding. If the club is performing well, or if it's in a town or city which has uh, a a fan base who've always wanted to to progress up the chain, then actually I think this could work in the in the club's favour. Um, if not, then it it could end up sort of as, as a ghost town club, and and you would be worried about uh, its long term future um, simply because we don't know what people are going to be like coming out of the pandemic. I mean, before we went on air, we were discussing the fact that even you or I, who've been watching our clubs for a ridiculous amount of time, are finding it difficult to get motivated for matches which should be important. But when you are watching them, it's got all of all of the excitement of a of a first round Carabao Cup game. Mm. 
Yeah, uh, I, although I have to say I was more motivated after we beat Fulham than after we surrendered to Wolves, I have to say. So that notion, Kieran, that in Portugal it's the clubs that uh, negotiate their own broadcasting deal, that presumably means that Benfica and Sporting Lisbon are way, way, way wealthier than any other club in the in the first division. Yes, that that's, that that is that is the case, um, and that reinforces um, existing gaps, and and it makes it very difficult for a a club, even with a new owner, to put in a, a genuine challenge. Mm. Um, and we we are seeing across Europe, um, with with the exception of here in England, um, the the increased concentration of wealth and power, and, and therefore winning of individual leagues within within the hands of a very very few clubs. Mm. Chris Frank. Chris says he's trying to get his head round FFP rules. Welcome to my world, Chris. In particular for his club, Fulham, and financial fair play treatment and promotion bonuses following their playoff success in 2017-18. EFL rules seem to say that promotion bonuses can be deferred to the following season, but Chris can't find an equivalent rule in the Premier League handbook. Does this mean the treatment of promotion bonus payments differs in the Premier League to the Championship? It's an interesting question, Kieran, because presumably... It only applies to three of the 20 Premier League clubs at any one time, doesn't it? It does. As as far as the Premier League club is concerned, they're not bothered about promotion bonuses paid um, to clubs when they were in the championship. Under uh, EFL rules, uh, if, if a... If a uh, uh, pro- profitability and sustainability calculation is being performed. You ignore promotion bonuses because, and that seems fair, because uh, it seems to, it seems wrong to to punish people on the back of being successful. Mm. So uh, when you get to the Premier League, um, they say, what were the rules in the EFL if they were excluded um, as far as the, the PNS calculation was concerned uh, in the EFL? We will just take that EFL profitability and sustainability profit stroke loss and we will use it in our figures because what happens is that you're always assessed on a rolling three-year period so if you have just come up from the championship so if we take Leeds for example they've spent uh, they've spent quite a few years in the championship they've now been promoted to the Premier League and the way that it works is for every uh, every year of the 3 years you've been in the championship you're allowed a 13 million loss and for every year in the Premier League it will be 35 so therefore for Leeds this season let's let's just ignore covid it would be 61 million um, and, and that's their allowable loss. And that's after taking into consideration all of these weird and wonderful uh, adjustments for uh, promotion and so on. Uh, Kieran, before we answer my next my next question, well, the next question I'm going to ask you, it's not my question. I could ask you a question now, but I've asked you a lot of questions recently and I wasn't satisfied with the answers for some of them. Um, remember you had to apologise a couple of weeks ago for the uh, strange buzzing noise in the background. Um, yes. I need to apologise. Some of you may have heard a strange noise in the background uh, during one of the last questions. Uh, this is because, and I hesitate to explain this, um, I had to blow my nose. Uh, and it turns out that the tissue I used that was in my pocket was the same one I used to pick up some crisps that the cat tried to steal during during Strictly Come Dancing. So I blew my nose and got a nose full of hula hoop crumbs, basically, uh, so, which was a, it's a slightly unpleasant barbecue. Basically, I inhaled some barbecue beef crumbs on, on live on air 
essentially. I apologise for that, Kieran. Um, well, I, I think that's a sign of the pandemic, Kevin, yeah. because you know, for people people who've been in showbiz, snorting things is you know part of the the, the entertainment world. And now that you're having to resort to to snort barbecue flavour hula hoops, um, is is testament to how difficult the industry is finding the economy at present. Yeah, that's 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 a very good, if slightly untruthful way of putting it. It's more more an indication of what happens in my house during Strictly Come Dancing. Really, it's just, occasionally, if a social worker happened to pop his head through my window while the cat was trying to steal crisps off a off a house, <laughs> a table covered in wine bottles, while we watched mates dancing in Strictly Come Dancing. Yeah, um, I don't know why she suddenly likes. Anyways, you know, Ian Hutchings is our next question. Uh, it's, Actually, I might be onto something. Maybe I could become a powdered hula hoop crumb seller, as uh, Rishi keeps wanting us to retrain. That could be my new. That could be my new job. Uh, I would not be short of clients in my industry, as you point out. Ian Hutchings says my team or his team, West Brom, recently had a player, Nathan Ferguson, move to Crystal Palace. What are the factors that a tribunal used to decide on the price? Because the price undisclosed, was decided by a tribunal. Do tribunal decisions include structured payments, add-ons and sell-on clauses? And I would add to that, Kieran, that um, only Palace would buy a player who failed a fitness test the season before when they tried to buy him, uh, knowing that he probably wouldn't be able to play football this season. Um, So would the fact that he was injured, would that have been taken into account by the tribunal? Um, yes, because what the, the tribunal looks at is, first of all, the age of the player, the the length of his remaining contract, the number of fixture, the number of games in which he has played over the last 12, 12 to 24 months, if there have been any offers from other clubs. Um, and, and then in terms of structuring the deal, what they are normally quite keen on is to make sure that there is compensation for the selling club, because normally the selling club doesn't want to let the player go. Um, and that would be in the form of add-ons should Crystal Palace sell Nathan Ferguson at a future date. So all of that would have been included in, in the final ruling by the tribunal. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, 
this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Yeah, it's an interesting one because we seem to have been after him for about three years. And it seems there are all sorts of rumours that he was. we were the only club that he would go to, which of course endeared us to him. But it's a strange one for Palace fans because at one stage of the season when we bought him, it looked like we would be starting the season with a 19-year-old left-back and a 20-year-old right-back, which would have been very exciting. But of course, Roy Hodgson reverted to type against Wolves and we had Patrick Van Arnholt and Nathaniel Klein at fullbacks, with there were about 174 between them, but never mind. Um, Robert Peacock has asked an interesting question. It's one I don't think we've covered fully on this pod before. Robert Peacock says, the Brazilian FA have just brought in equal pay for their men and women's teams, which is very laudable. But how are players paid for international football? Is it an annual salary? They pay per game, flat fee, a mixture of that. And does this filter down to youth teams as well? Because it's never occurred to me to ask whether the England under-18 team are getting paid for appearing in tournaments or friendlies. Yeah, it, it, it is an intriguing one, this. I mean, I've I've looked at all 612 page of the, pages of the FA handbook trying to get to the bottom of this, and I'm not uh, necessarily any the wiser uh, as a result in terms of youth players. I suspect they wouldn't be paid because this is very much deemed to be part of their development yeah. rather than when you're in the, the full team squad. Um, that's deemed to be at the end of your development. When it comes to England players, um, they are normally paid a effectively a nominal fee of around about £2,000 per match, and, and that's for both men and women. Mm. Um, my understanding is that all of the men and some of the, the women's team um, give that money to charity. They, they say, you know, it's it's an honour to play for the country. We are, you know, especially in, in the case of, of the, the men players, they are already well remunerated, you know, £2,000. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's, this isn't them being sniffy. Yeah, £2,000, yeah. they're not going to miss. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's very laudable that they give this to uh, an organised charity. When it comes to tournaments, I think that they are paid on a uh, – they are given a fee. So if they're going to the Europa League tournament or the – sorry, the, the Euro tournament or the World Cup, they will be given a fee because they're away from home for a month. Um, and then there will be bonuses on – you know, similar to, to match appearance bonuses, goal yeah. bonuses, and so on. Um, in, in respect of other countries, FIFA does not give – any overall guidance as to the nature as to how payments should be structured um, and it's it's normally fairly common to see uh, before any World Cup sort of uh, you know a week or two weeks before the tournament starts there's normally at least one team who is refusing to go to the mm. FIFA World Cup because the their local their domestic football association has reneged on uh, reneged on promises or they find out that all of the officials are traveling first class and, and the players are in economy and, and, and that's replicated for where they're staying in terms of accommodation and things of this nature. So England pay male and female internationals the same money, do they? That's right. So, it, so England agreed to that earlier this year. I, I think uh, Brazil do, as, as Robert mentioned. I think New Zealand and uh, Sweden and some other countries are also following that particular lead. Good. I suppose it's slightly different for Brazil as well, because for years, traditionally, especially you know in the 70s and 80s and 90s, the Brazilian FA spent nine months of the year like a sort of Harlem Globetrotters, didn't they? Travelling all over the world, playing international friendlies, cash in hand, more or less, didn't they? 
But they did. And, and, and in fact, they, they, they still uh, they still exploit the fact that Brazil are a huge draw. Yeah. So if, if they go on an international uh, tour, you, you'll see them turning up at places such as Loftus Road and yeah. you know, yeah. slightly, slightly, you know, slightly unusual. Uh, and these, you know, Brazil versus Spain in in West London. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd probably go and watch it because. Uh, to, to see these players and to actually say that you've seen Brazil play football, I, I think for for any football fan, uh, it, you know, it, it would be a dream come true. I, I remember seeing them in the was it 2006 World Cup in, in Germany, and for mm. me, having you know, like I suspect you, we all remember 1970, of course, uh, and and all that went along with that. It, it was sort of. It, one of those moments that you'd always, always wanted to achieve. Yeah, they actually played Plymouth Argyle in the seventies when they they came over on a tour, and Plymouth offered them five grand cash in hand. Is the story to play them, and and Plymouth beat them, Pele and all, which is a, a fun fact you'll find in a book somebody's recently written. Um, Lou Champion has been rewatching the Sunderland Till I Die documentary, and I want people at home listening to this to bear that in mind because, strangely enough, it's going to crop up again. But Lou Champion has been rewatching the Sunderland Till I Die documentary, and in it, uh, says Lou, Stuart Donald apparently has a 10% stake in Oxford, it's revealed. How is that possible when he owns Sunderland? Right. Um, you are not allowed to have an investment in more than one football club. Now, the investment is defined as owning more than, I think it's 9.9% or more than 10%. Oh, okay. So therefore, Stuart Donald is just within the threshold right. for making sure that he is not exceeding uh, existing legislation. So could Stuart Donald have a 9.9% stake in 10 or 12 football clubs then? Yes, he could. I mean, if, could. If, oh, okay. if, you, if, if you take a look at uh, Sky many years ago, they owned 9.9% of Manchester United and I think one or two other clubs as well. Oh, okay. When when the Premier League was uh, sort of in its sort of cr- creation years, because it, it helped them. It meant that they had a, you know, potentially as, as, a, as a significant shareholder, but not a majority shareholder, um, they 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 could have a sort of their their ear to the door when decisions were being made. Mm, interesting. This next question, Kieran, comes from Akudinobi Kazarachai, um, and in brackets before the start of the question, Akudinobi has added, "It's not a tongue twister, but I'll enjoy hearing you try." Uh, <laughs> that's the calibre of listener we have, isn't it? It's. It, uh, I hope I pronounced that right, Akudinobi. Please email me to tell me I haven't. Um, Akudinobi is a Nigerian. And he's puzzled by the fact that 90% of clubs in the Nigerian league are state-owned, with one owned by a church and another by a rich man. Is there any advantage in having government-run clubs, especially if they never seem to invest in them? Right. The the, the advantage here would be, um, I, I'd imagine, uh, as, as a Palace fan, you've got a soft spot for Nigeria, as, as they're known as the of Super course, Eagles. Of course. Um, and they have some of the greatest football kits of all time. Absolutely. Um so uh, as, as far as the, the 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 domestic league is concerned, um, the, the government knows the benefit of the national team qualifying for the FIFA World Cup finals. Right. Therefore, it's important that they have a domestic league which is run on a, a reliable level. Now, because um, in Nigeria they don't have great TV deals as, as uh, in terms of the income it generates, yeah. what they want to be certain about is that clubs don't become insolvent um, and, and you end up 
halfway through a season with one or two clubs going bust. So by having the government run them, whilst the government's not putting money in, it's in a position to make sure that they they don't go out of business. Um, And this benefits the national team. I mean, Nigeria are currently ranked 29th in the in the FIFA rankings. And remember, they have been as high as fifth. Yeah. They are regular uh, participants in the FIFA World Cup. Um, and that, that is on the strength of having a domestic league. And also the government benefits, because if the players do quite well domestically, then there's a greater chance of them being spotted by scouts um, and moving on to uh, you know, careers um, elsewhere. Um, where perhaps European or clubs in the Premier mm. League and so on would be willing to pay decent fees. And, of course, that, that benefits the government. Well, of course it does. And it benefits the economy of Nigeria as well, because as Roy Hodgson always points out, uh, African players are very diligent in sending money back to their families and their communities. So I, w- I would guess that the majority of the squad in the World Cup, though, for Nigerian players would be based overseas, wouldn't they, rather than in their domestic league? Yes, yes. I mean, uh, the certainly the coaches tend to to want players. If, if you're good, the, the the money paid in the domestic leagues it isn't isn't great in Nigeria. As soon as you move to Europe, and, and as we know that the Premier League, where the 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 average salary is is around about two point seven million pounds a year, yeah, that's going to be far greater than you could hope to get back mm. home. Now, Kieran, we've seen a bit of the world on this pod. We've been to Portugal, we've been to Nigeria. We're going to end with two questions from the USA. And the first of them is from Glenn Thaxton. Now, Glenn Thaxton is from Tennessee, and he sent us, Kieran, a lovely email explaining his very newfound love and passion for football, a sport he said that he spent years failing to understand and, in fact, disdaining a little. Um, And all this was kick-started, oddly enough, by discovering Sunderland Till I Die during lockdown. And Glenn is now slightly obsessed and immersed into research in football culture. He loves the pod. And indeed, in his email, he included some ideas for monetizing it, um, which, yeah, I know, which producer guy I hadn't thought of. They're good ideas as well. Uh, Glenn asks um, a simple question um, from a newcomer, but he asked if Kieran, that's you, could offer your thoughts on the best run clubs. <laughs> I don't know why I felt the need to specify that <laughs> in case that other silent Kieran that's been part of the pod for quite some time finally went, oh, my turn. Um, Kieran Tierney has been sitting in on the pods for quite some time since he came down from Celtic. Uh, yeah, so if you, Kieran Maguire, could offer your thoughts on the best run club or clubs in the top level of football and what it is that those clubs do so well. Um, I, I presume um, Glenn here is thinking about best run financially. Yes, um, um, in my view, as far as the Premier League is concerned, the, the two best run clubs financially on a consistent basis are Spurs and Burnley. Oh, okay. um, Spurs are uh, superb at keeping costs low for a a. a Rich six club. I don't like to use. I'm, I'm becoming increasingly uncomfortable about using this phrase, big six, because yeah. you think about it. Leicester won the won yeah. the Premier League uh, more recently than the Manchester United, Arsenal, and Spurs. Mm. Um, but Spurs are are very good at cost control um, in terms of their wages. That their, their wage bill is is a hundred million pounds lower than that of the two Manchester clubs, Chelsea and. Uh, uh, Liverpool, so yeah, that that's quite an achievement, and yet they have got to uh, the final of the Champions League. They they were runners up in the Premier League fairly recently uh, themselves. 
Um, and they've they've got normally a pretty good eye as far as the transfer market is concerned for, for generating cash as well. And, and the new stadium, um, again, setting pandemic aside, is one of the smartest in smartest investments I've seen in any form of professional sport over the course of the last couple of decades. Go on, sorry, Ken. And in terms of Burnley, Burnley, you, you get what it says on the tin. They they just that they have a wage structure, which my understanding uh, is is really close. So so that there's no, um, I, I think the the dressing room turn is there's no Billy Big Bollocks yeah. in it who are on three or four times the money of of another player. Everybody's within a pretty close band of within five grand of of top and lowest paid player um and they they have a philosophy in terms of recruitment they they, they tend to look for for hungry players um with a bit of experience who have come from the championship or elsewhere in the premier league um and it's and it's a fairly close-knit close-knit club and I think we mentioned earlier at the very start um, in, in respect of the potential takeover, the existing owners haven't put a penny in. Mm. It's interesting that you mentioned the Spurs wage bill being a £100 million less or so than uh, Man United, Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool, because every football fan listening to this will be winking at themselves going, oh yeah, but legendarily Spurs topped that up with with bonuses. And I mean, that's that seems to be the perceived wisdom about Tottenham's wage structure that they don't pay actually brilliant wages but you can earn a shed load of money on top of that well, well you can but that that hundred million pounds includes bonuses oh it does so, yeah, oh, that, that, yeah, that, is, oh, wow. that is the total oh, yeah, um, okay so yeah they have I would expect their wage bill to to rise over the course of the next couple of years because as we all know Harry Kane signed a new contract mm. they Mourinho's arrived and he's he's not cheap they've signed in Undombele for 60 odd million uh, and, and if you're if you're paying top dollar for player signings, then then the agents are going to say, well, if you can afford to pay $68 million for the player, uh, as far as the transfer fee is concerned, perhaps he ought to have something commensurate with that. Mm. Um, so I do expect that gap to perhaps decline a wee bit, but that um, they certainly have been run very well financially. And, and people are going to hate me for saying this, um, Newcastle United. Oh, well, okay. You, you'd, you'd very nearly got, got away with it. It's like Colombo from the 70s. You just turned back as you were leaving the door. You just turned back and went, one more thing. Okay. let's. Yeah. I'm, I'm, can I personally say, I, I'm Newcastle fans, these are the views of Kieran Maguire. Uh, I shall be in the back here blowing my nose on the crumbfield tissue. <laughs> That's right. Um, well run financially um, in terms of making sure they break even. Um, I think they could have been better run financially because, to me, Newcastle is the biggest lost opportunity in football. But they don't they don't lose money. Okay, well, Glenn, welcome to the family of football, and I will reply to your email properly. I promise. Uh, and we finish with another recent American convert to the beautiful game, Jacob Frick. Uh, regular listeners will know that Jacob fell in love with football uh, not that long ago and decided that he needed an English team to support and chose Hereford simply because he liked their crest, which is a perfectly good reason to support a club, I think. Jacob says he watched Hereford win a pre-season friendly over the summer and it featured several trialists who, to the best of my understanding, were unattached. Are trialists paid? says Jacob. Um, 
Uh, if so, and if they are injured, uh, how much? Is that? If they're injured during the trial, who would be responsible for their rehab? In short, what is the financial commitment of a club to a trialist and vice versa? And I, I believe a trialist scored a goal in the EFL yesterday, and I, I texted the estimable Mark Clement to ask him who it was, and I forgot to bring my phone in with me. So, um, so it's not just my my point being; it's not just at non-league level that trialists are are used by clubs right well uh, if, if you're a trialist it's what what you're doing by appearing one of these matches it's the equivalent of a job interview right. now do you get paid for a job interview right okay um, I'm, so, I'm guessing so, no. I don't know. no. It's been 30 years since I was in that world. So I guess, no, I guess. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, the, the most these people can expect is expenses. Right. So you know, if, if they are traveling from afar, if, if you're lucky, they might pay for your train fare and perhaps some accommodation and a bit of, bit of scram afterwards. Mm. Um, in terms of injury risk, um, that, that is borne by the player himself. Right. Okay. So, if they have an agent, if, if they do have the resources, I, I would certainly take out a personal insurance policy under these circumstances. They wouldn't be covered, I suspect, under the club's insurance policy because it could be that they, they arrive. They won't have had a medical, so therefore they might have a pre-existing condition um, and no insurance company would pay out on, on that basis. And you know, if I was the insurance company, I'd say, well, OK, he, you know, he's, he's, he's done his hamstring. How do we know he didn't have a dodgy hamstring to begin with? So... Um, it would be uh, very much on an own risk basis. Yeah, and I, I suppose as well when you look at uh, Phoenix teams when they first start, like AFC Wimbledon, and, and I think we'll probably be discussing on Thursday's pod Wimbledon's move back to Plough Lane, which is a, a marvelous, significant thing to happen. But you know, or the New Berry Club. I suppose when a club first starts as a Phoenix club, almost all the all the team will be trialists, won't they? Yes, yes, but yeah, every, everybody's trying to you know get get a, get a position to try to get some form of longer term deal. Um, at, at most, you you expect to get boot money um, yeah. at at the lower leagues. Okay, if you have a question for us, um, and as you've heard this week, it could be about Nigerian football, it could be about Portuguese third division football, it could be about the fallout of watching a Sunderland documentary during a pandemic. Who knows? Just ask us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And I'm going to leave you with Kieran to do the tawdry merchandise uh, speech that I flatly refuse to do, point blank. Absolutely wouldn't do it. And I said that to Guy's face via an email. Yes, uh, folks, if if you do like the show and you want to support it, and, and in many ways, just saying something nice on, on Apple Podcasts and giving us a five-star review, yeah, that that's that's more than suffice. Um, but if you'd like some Price of Football merchandise, of which um, there is a, a unique and limited range consisting of two T-shirts and a mug at present, but I, we, we've been we've been promised that if if, if successful, we will expand the range. Um, then uh, I think the goods go out on sale at the end of the month. But the perfect Christmas present for um, nobody who I can possibly think of. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you, he's going to be getting a lot of Price of Football mugs. All guys' friends. That's who's going to be getting a lot of Price of Football mugs. Otherwise, he's only got a small garage, I understand. Otherwise, he won't be able to get the car out. Um <laughs> Yeah, and, and also, speaking of Christmas, Kieran, if, if people are looking for presents, I'd rather buy a book, to be perfectly honest. I mean, both of us have got books out. I would, I would go for that. Although, having said that, if you're sitting there in your Price of Football T-shirt, drinking a nice cup of tea out of your Price of Football mug, whilst reading your Price of Football book and looking at my Who Are You book, that's, that's the perfect Boxing Day there, isn't it? 
I, I think so, yes, especially if, uh, as Amazon will have back-to-back <laughs> matches lasting the whole day. Um, it'll give you something to watch during the during the advert breaks. Um, and, and, in, and in respect to the books, I'd just like to say a, a huge thank you to um ian who is the local uh guy at the chamber of commerce here here where i live in 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 the little village um he ian's also a palace fan mm. um and he'd heard uh that uh the proceeds of the book or the, the royalties from the book are going to the trussell trust he happens to be one of the people that organizes this uh this amazing charity and and he invited me along and and the baroness uh, oh, a couple okay. of days ago and uh it it we came out of it and we were practically crying. Oh. It, it was such a humbling experience. This this organisation, it it doesn't care who you are. As he said, you know, you you can be a person who's who's had a good job and you've lost it, and all of a sudden you've got a couple of kids and you don't know how you're going to feed yourself because your universal credit's not come through. You're waiting a check. You've or, or it could be just for you know your, your regular Joes and and the uh, you know and the back axle of your car's gone. You've you've got a budget for your for your your, your your food each month, and now that's been eaten up because you've got to go and repair the car or your van. And without the car or the van, um, organisations like this, you know, and we, we've said this on more than one occasion, that they shouldn't have to exist in, in a country the size and the wealth of of the UK. But we are where we are. There's 450 branches in the UK. And uh, folks, you know, if you uh, if if you're in uh, if you're in a supermarket like Tesco's or Waitrose, and, and if you can afford to do so, and you want to do so, just grab a couple of extra cans. And th- there's pickup points in in huge numbers of of supermarkets for the Trussell Trust. Just get, just go and bung, bung a couple of cans, or a, you know, even a, even a bar of chocolate. You know, a, a lot of people during this horrible pandemic are suffering and you know just put a smile on somebody's face to know that other people do care it's an it this, this organization does not judge you um it it delivers food and uh we, we we're suffering enough we don't want people to go hungry yeah i, I don't know if there's any point in me adding this uh kieran because guy is such a heartless bastard he's probably stopped the pod after our plea for you to buy mugs um, but people around the world will be saying to themselves, hang on a second, Kieran lives in, in Sussex. There can't be food poverty in Sussex. And I was approached by a similar charity uh, this time last year to ask me to raise some awareness for them. And I asked that exact question. And it turns out, of course, that there, there's no area of this country is immune to those problems. And also, all over Sussex are many new build estates uh, in which they have affordable elements. And local councils all over Sussex have basically bunged council tenants into these estates that are situated a long way from hamlets and villages. So there's all sorts of issues around isolation and people not being able to afford to buy the food in the delicatessens in those hamlets and villages. So it is a problem for the, for the whole of the country. As Kieran says, it, it shouldn't be. Um, and I'm very pleased that Kieran could end on that positive, upbeat note. Look after yourselves, boys and girls. Bye, son, for the